Welcome in to another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here on IndyStar.com. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, but the star, as always, is multiple award-winning columnist, Greg Doyle. How are you, man? Uh, multiple. I, I, somebody sent me a – and this is so awful. I'm good, Derek. Somebody – I get people tell me how I suck all the time, right? I mean, just you suck. You should be fired. I can't wait till the day the star wises up and gets rid of you. <laughs> so I sent somebody an email the other day saying, "Hey, if you don't mind, can I borrow your can I borrow your fingers? Because I'm out of fingers for counting all the awards I've won. But maybe I'll get fired anyway. <laughs> You're right. So I mean, I I try not to be all cocky sometimes, but then you describe me that way, and then I have to tell you what I said to some troll on an email. Uh, but for the most part, I'd like to live my life in a way that that uh, I'm awfully humble because. Um, I mean, it could be taken from you at any moment. So, anyway, no, if, if you have to flex on them, you got to flex on them. That's all. Flex. There's, there's no problem with that. There we go. That kids use, I think, nowadays. I don't know. I'm getting old, so who knows? It is um, a word they use. Yes. Pacers losers to the Heat. I know, in the grand scheme of things, that these next couple of games are are relevant. The Pacers can only be the fifth or sixth seed. For all intents and purposes, we we knew all along that it very likely was going to be a playoff matchup with Miami. But before we get into T.J. Warren and, and Nate McMillan's hot seat, if it is indeed hot, um, just overall, Greg, your thoughts on this matchup with Miami. Uh, it's the one playoff team that the Pacers have yet to defeat this year, although they haven't exactly had a, a full deck of players available for them in any of these three previous matchups. Yeah, my, and that does obviously does affect things. But let's be honest, the Pacers pretty much have the same winning record percentage kind of whoever's in they they overcome at full strength without Vic without Sabonis without Miles without one of those guys here and there they they do what they do they they win most of the time or at least they win more than they lose and really kind of no matter who's playing for them they typically don't beat teams like the Lakers although they did the other night so I don't know how big a deal it is um, that they've been without a full deck against the Heat and can't beat them I think it's a bigger deal they can't beat them I, you look at the, the just the way the Heat plays I mean, I think they're the only team in the East that can beat the Bucks. I, I, I'm so, I'm so high on the Heat that, uh, by the way, Derek, whatever you're doing is kind of loud. I'm, I'm sorry. It's I'm trying right. to move my, I'm trying to move my iPad around because it just, my face looks weird, and I want to look as handsome as possible in case we put this up on YouTube. There we go. I think. It's well, that's fine because your face looks weird and my voice sounds bad, so it might be best for you to make noise while I'm talking. But the Heat is the best team in the East, not named the Bucks. I realize they're the they're the fourth seed or whatever, and and the Raptors are ahead of the Celtics. The Heat is the team that scare me the most. So if I'm the Pacers, I'd rather be playing the Celtics. They can beat the Celtics in seven. Can. I don't think they can beat the Heat in seven. Just the Heat are too good. I, I don't know why the Heat's record is what it is. And we'll, we'll get to Nate in a second. But I got a lot of people saying that how good Spolster is. And he is good. He is good. But I like his roster a whole lot. And he's exactly one game ahead of the Pacers who've been injured all year. Yeah, there isn't a good matchup for the Pacers. Let's just be honest. Uh, all of the, the other five teams, it's a top six in the East. The other five teams are all better than the Pacers. There's just really no other way around it, especially without Sabonis. And I think most rational people knew that going in. So you're trying to pick the best of bad options, and all of the options are bad. But I agree with you, Greg, that I'd actually lean towards Boston right now just because I think they're the most gettable of the bunch. People would say Philly, but when Philly is motivated and they're locked in, they're as good as anybody. I mean, that roster is absolutely stacked. The problem is, is that it just doesn't feel like they're they're just kind of here today, gone tomorrow all the time. You never know what you're going to get with that Sixers team. 
Whereas you, I think you get a little bit more consistent play with Miami or, or some of these other squads. But I think it would actually be good for the Pacers to drop down to the sixth seed. Um, but the problem is, is that, again, I think a, a first-round series, especially without Sabonis, is going to be an uphill climb regardless of who the opponent is. For sure, regardless. But I think history has shown, and you just the eyeball test shows, they can't beat the Heat. Not, not in seven games. Um, it, I mean, listen, they can if T.J. Warren goes off. You know, they beat the, TJ goes off and they beat anybody. They beat the Lakers. If TJ's awesome, they're going to beat a whole lot of teams that, that I'm sitting here saying they can't beat. Yeah, well, TJ's scoring 35 a game. Yeah, they can. Problem is the Heat have Jimmy Butler, who's just a brutal defender, just brutal. And he's so good that he can guard TJ. And if, if it turns out that Oladipo's the guy carrying the carrying the, the Pacers, he can switch over to Oladipo. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler is just, like him or not, he's that guy that, that you don't want to see. For a whole lot of reasons. You don't want to see Jimmy Butler opposite you. This is a tough question because for so long you were a national columnist, so you weren't really on a beat. So you didn't follow one player or one team consistently. But in all your decades of experience in sports media, what sort of comparisons can you conjure up to T.J. Warren's streak so far? I know he had an off night last night, but his performance in the bubble so far. I hate comparing it to Jeremy Lin because then it makes it feel like a fluke. I think Warren is a much more accomplished player than Jeremy Lin ever was. But, you know, that's one of the ones that kind of popped into my mind. Like, oh, my God, where did this come from? Um, Steph Curry in the 2013 NCAA tournament, maybe? Whatever that tournament was where Steph Curry went off. That was 08. Was that 08? Is that how long ago it was? (laughs) Holy jeez. I was there. I mean, I was there. I saw it. Um, it was 08? Mm-hmm. Holy cow, has he gotten old? And holy cow, have we gotten old? Um, and to be, listen, right off the bat, T.J. Warren is no Steph Curry, will never be Steph Curry. I get all that. But as far as coming out of the out of the blue, Steph Curry didn't come out of the blue, but that was revelationary what he did. It was kind of shocking. It was every single game like, oh, my gosh, surely this team will shut him down. No. Well, then that team will shut him down. No. He had four games, and again, I was at all four um, that were like that. And TJ hasn't had – he hadn't gone – he hadn't been perfect. Last night against the Heat, he was not great. And against the Suns, I think it was, he wasn't great. But he's had four or five games where it's kind of like Steph Curry, like when he shoots it, it's going in. And it's he's not the dominant star in the game, but he's doing that. That was Steph Curry in 08. Of course, now we know he's Steph Curry. It's not that big of a shock. But in 08, that was kind of revelationary. It feels like it was 15 years ago with everything that we've been through in the past year and a half, but uh, Carson Edwards was another comparison that I felt was was pretty apt where it just felt like he, no matter what teams were trying to do to stop him, they just couldn't. For sure, and I was there for Carson too. That's a great one. Um, Paul George against the Raptors a couple – I think it was yeah, the Raptors right. a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah, had he, he, had a, he had a huge series, and it was every single game, and he was also – and we talk about TJ can play defense, and he can play defense – um, but not like not like Paul George. So Paul George was doing that on offense and then was just about the best defensive player on the floor. So that was a rather special series Paul George had. When you that and I remember that series, that was the first time that I came around to Paul George the way the city had. Like that was the first time I saw in Paul George, okay, this is a you can build an entire team around that guy. He was that good that day. Of course, he hasn't been the guy since. He's been great, but he's been with Russell, who's the guy. And he's been with Kawhi, who's the guy. But anyway, that was the first time that I saw in Paul George what people have been telling me we should see in Paul George. Um, just turns out that who he is off the court is not quite who he is on the court. 
Yeah, he was the best player in that series, and it wasn't close. Uh, right. He was the best player on the floor by far. Last week, there was talk about Nate McMillan's job status. If I'm remembering correctly, I, I think it was a comment on Zach Lowe's podcast, uh, the ESPN NBA writer, about it being kind of the, the hot rumor that the Pacers might be looking to move on from Nate McMillan at the end of this season. Uh, it's weird to think that it's been, what is it, season five, I think, for him? Maybe, maybe even season six, now that I think about it. So he's, he's, been, he's been here for a minute. Um, should the Pacers move on from him? Well, this is his fourth season as head coach. Now, he's been here five or six because he was with uh, Frank Vogel. But this is, right. He was the assistant, yeah. This is fourth as a head coach. And in the Pacers' history, only two coaches in history uh, for the Pacers have had a winning record in their first four years. Only two. Uh, Slick Leonard's one of them, and he's the other. Nate's the other. Now, Vogel, Vogel was here actually four years, more than four. Um, I don't think Bird was. I think Bird was here three. But anyway, only two guys have done it, and one of them's Nate. And you look at the roster he's been given for the last four years and the injury issues he's had. And it's hard to say that you're going to find a lot of coaches that would do much better than Nate. And I realize Spolstra is the, the flavor of the month and, and, and more than that. I mean, he's good. Spolstra's good. He's exactly one game ahead of the Pacers right now. And the Pacers have been this year, two-thirds of the year without Vic. Right now, without Sabonis, they're still winning more than they're losing. They've lost Turner for a little bit. They've, Brogdon's been injured half the year with various things. I don't like the talk about Nate. I don't like it at all. And I got an email. No, I actually got a Twitter DM. Uh, the night that they were playing, um, let's see, who, who's the coach? Suns, Lakers. No, no, no. They, they, they won the game and they were, oh, the Sixers, the Sixers. They were playing the Sixers. And I think they were losing at some point. And I got an, a DM in the middle of the game that, can we just pot, finally, will you finally write that Nate McMillan is just another guy as a coach? That was in the middle of the game. They came back and beat the Sixers that night. And that was the night that, that I heard on the TV because Quinn Buckner, Kristen Ari said that this is, you know, this is, he's one of the two guys, he and Slick, the only two guys to win all their, you know, go 50% or better first four years. And I remember, and I wrote this, but I took it out because I didn't want to hurt the guy's feelings. Because he, he knew who he was. He, he DM'd me. I didn't want to hurt his feelings, so I left that on my story. But I wrote that that's what people are saying about Nate, as unfair as that is, when it turns out the guy in that coaching matchup who is just a guy is Brett Brown. Brett Brown's just a guy. He's just a guy. I don't care that he worked with Popovich. He's just a guy. In fact, he's not very good. You look, as you said, you look at the roster the Sixers have had, and yeah, they've had injuries. They've had issues too. But Brett Brown's just a guy. But Brett Brown has the demographics that a lot of people like. And Nate McMillan doesn't. And so people look at Nate and think he's not good enough. And I just have to wonder why are they saying that about Nate? And I think I know. I think there's an undercurrent there that, and people don't even know why they're saying it. But I have to wonder why are they saying that? Well, I think too, and look, is there an underlying racial aspect to that? I'm I'm not going to deny it. It's the world that we live in, right? But Nate McMillan's been around forever. And while Nate McMillan has had decent success, he's been a good head coach. His teams have all had a clearly defined ceiling. We can sit here till the cows come home and talk about, you know, personnel and all that. I agree with you, Greg, that I don't think any of these Pacers teams have underachieved. And that's what makes this decision so hard. But if you want this franchise to take the next step, I think fans are right in wondering 
is Nate McMillan the guy to take them to the next step? You know, it, it's somewhat similar to me to the situation that Indiana faced with Tom Crean. Nobody thought Tom Crean was a terrible head coach. Fans just wanted to know, hey, is is good or just good, good enough for Indiana? And yes, different line of expectations for IU basketball with their championship pedigree from way, way back than what we have with the Pacers. But I think that's why fans are, are getting a little bit restless. I remember Larry Bird said with Frank Vogel that he let the contract expire because he felt like NBA players just tune out guys after a certain amount of time. Frank Vogel's team's never underachieved. Frank Vogel was a perfectly adequate to good head coach, but at some point it just became time for them to move on. Yeah, I I, I don't know if the Pacers, for sure they have not underachieved. I think you could argue they've overachieved this year. Um I mean, I think you have to argue that. You look at who they've had, who the injuries have been. They changed the roster over, right? I mean, he deserves credit for that. They, they, oh, they went from the small quarter, ball. They completely changed it around. Yeah, they went from small ball to big ball, back to small ball in the bubble. Meanwhile, with, with and the reason they've been making these changes because of either guys have been injured or Kevin Pritchard decided we're going to go big and we're just going to bludgeon people. And they've, I mean, they're the fifth seed right now in the East. It, it hasn't not worked. But anyway, I just, I don't look, I, I hear, I hear all that about a ceiling and, and, and he's never, never won a title, never gone to the to the finals. Uh, I'm not sure he's even coached in the conference finals. I get the yes. ceiling aspect. Yeah, I get the ceiling aspect. I get it. But he, and I know you're not saying it's a perfect comparison, but you know, he, he's, he's not Tom Cream in that he's not recruiting players and then coaching them. He's just coaching what he's given. You're right. And, and I don't look at this roster, any of his rosters and say, Somebody could have gotten more out of that roster. I don't see it. I, I don't. I need someone to tell me. Show me a year where you look at that roster and think a better coach would have won a lot more with that roster. I don't see it in any of his four years. I would just like a little more offensive innovation, and I think that's really where he's limited. Uh, I think it's a little bit repetitive to have both McMillan and Dan Burke because both of those guys are defense-oriented. As long as we're to assume that Dan Burke is the lifetime defensive coordinator of this team, he could stick around as long as he wants. I would like to see an offensive mind brought in because I, I think there's a little more potential, untapped potential with the Pacers offensively that they're not quite getting. But, you know, defensively, they've been tremendous. I mean, you brought it up last week, Greg, on, on the podcast. Remember the big knock on Boyan Bogdanovich was, well, he can't defend a chair. He's just a scorer. TJ Warren, well, he can't defend a chair. He's just a scorer. Yet magically they come here. That's not an accident that Boyan and TJ Warren became capable defenders once they came to Indiana. Uh, you know, that that's Nate McMillan. That's Dan Burke. That's that's the coaching staff that we have here intact with this team. So I do agree that that I, I think Nate catches a little bit. Too, it sounds like I'm talking about both side of, sides of my mouth. I think Nate catches a little too much hell. But I understand Pacers fans frustration and being complacent um, under Nate McMillan and wondering if there is somebody that could come in that could um, take this team to the next level. Well, you also look at the two bigs and, and the question was they, they can't defend. I mean, I was, I'm sure, I'm sure I wrote those words, and I know a lot of people were wondering those words. Can you play Turner and Sabonis together, and can they defend? At the very least, I wrote the words. We'll find out because the whole season hinges on can they do it. Well, they're fifth seed in the East. Apparently, they could. So yes, that he's he gets. I'm not saying he gets chicken bleep and makes chicken salad, but he's making chicken salad out of something that's not quite chicken salad. Um, having said that, and I'm not talking on both sides of my mouth. I think he deserves to stay. But you make a, I mean, the, the, there's no arguing the point that they do have two defensive-minded coaches in him and Burke, and they don't. Their offense isn't lighting the world on fire ever. It never does under Nate. It, it does not. There's no denying that. 
And I don't know if that means they got to go out and hire maybe a guy, a guy like Spolstro, who the Heat had back when LeBron was the first time around. Well, the, the only time around, Spolstro was the guy they plucked from the end of the bench and made him the head coach. Is there a young guy like that? Like, I don't know if Nick Nurse, like a Nick Nurse, a young guy, put him on staff next year, let him, put him in charge of the offense. And then if you think he's really, really good and maybe they've maxed out Nate, then you, you get rid of that guy. Like Pat Riley got rid of himself and hired Spolstra. Maybe you get rid of Nate in a couple of years if, if he hires some great offensive genius. Because, I mean, Popeye and Baino, they are what they are. and They're a good staff. But there's no up-and-coming future head coach on the staff right now. Maybe I could get on board with grooming a guy. Although it's not really fair to Nate to say, hey, Nate, we're going to hire a 32-year-old offensive whiz. And uh, you and I both know he's going to replace you in two years if you guys win a lot of games. But uh, go win a lot of games with that guy. But I, I can see your point. <laughs> Uh, you know what? You mentioned all the awards that you've won. Uh, we deserve another award for going a full segment talking about a head coach losing his job in Indiana and not mentioning Brad Stevens. Oh, we have. and I. But to be fair to me, I didn't mention all my awards. I just, that's true. Yeah. I did not mention them all, and I'm not going to. <laughs> Sorry, that's just me. Like, like Brad Stevens would ever leave the Boston freaking Celtics. I mean, maybe maybe I'm stuck in the 80s with me growing up as a kid in New England, but I can't imagine anyone willingly leaving the Boston Celtics head coaching job. Like, is there a higher level of job than that? That's I just think, how I've always kind of felt. You know, the fascination with Brad Stevens for the Pacers, for the for the Hoosiers, you know, coming back to Butler or whatever the fascination will be with him every – at some point in the next 20 years, I will never, ever, ever um, frown on someone for wishing they had Brad Stevens, ever. I mean, he's the perfect coach. He's he's humble. He's nice. He wins. He took Butler where he took him. He's from Zionsville. He played. I mean, he's local. I mean, he is the perfect state of Indiana coach for mm -hmm. whatever job you want to give him, including the Purdue job. And I'm not saying replace anybody. I'm just saying there's not a job in the state where you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't want Brad Stevens someday. Um, and I think it's only the unhinged. It's only the people with 13 followers. It's only the the completely out of, you know, just, just the ridiculous that, that you get on Twitter a lot. But it's only those people. It's everybody else that brings up Brad Stevens. And we all know he's not coming. He's not going to IU. He's not going to the, the Pacers, whatever. But I'm, I'm on board with the fascination. I mean, the guy gives his time and, and money, but more importantly, his time to the Boys and Girls Club here in Indiana. I mean, he's just the real deal at every possible level. No, oh, by the way, he's a great coach, and, and he's so damn nice. He's so yes. nice. He's the one head coach in the NBA that, when he sees me, uh, says, hi, Greg. Like, nobody does that. Mm -hmm. Nobody – I mean, and most of these guys know my name, but they don't give you that. Not even – Nate won't even say, hi, Greg. Um, but Brad is just so humble that he doesn't, he doesn't remember that, no, no, you're the big shot. Don't say my name to me. I'll say your name to you. That's the way he doesn't care. He doesn't know how special he is, which is why we all want him back somewhere in this state. I have no issue uh, loudly proclaiming my man crush for Brad Stevens. And I think most people in Indiana are, are kind of the same way about that. Let's uh, let's shift gears. Uh, and this is much more time sensitive because this is an ever changing situation. So by the time you're hearing this podcast, whenever this is, if you're on your drive home right now, or it's early afternoon on Tuesday, uh, the circumstances may have changed around this. But as many know, the Big Ten seemingly was on the verge of postponing their 2020 season for the fall yesterday, all, all day yesterday. That was the talk. And then it seemed that the coaches, most notably Penn State's James Franklin, was very vocal. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, very vocal about wanting to play. 
And now it feels like the university presidents are having a little bit of an about face or at least a reconsideration of their stance. You wrote about it in your latest column with the Indy Star, Greg. What do you make of this situation? And just I think the Big Ten's really stepped in it here because this is one of those things that unless you're 100 percent, this is the decision that you're going to make. You don't even float this thing out there uh, as a trial balloon or anything like that. Here's the thing is that there's a lot of people like me and, I, and I've, you know, I've written what I've written. There's no hiding from what I've written that I, I think the season I don't know if I've ever said it should be stopped. Maybe I have. It's not going to finish. And I guess that's my point. There's there's no way the season finishes with, with these kids playing together, being on campus with other kids who don't have nearly the motivation the players have to be safe. It's not going to finish. And if it's not going to finish, and it's not, then then why start it? Because all we're going to do is get a lot of people sick between here and there. And 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 I, I just get so upset. I get and you and I'm if we're on YouTube, you're gonna see me right now. I'm, I'm literally <laughs> I'm literally clawing at my eyes because I can't even look right now at, at the whole world. I'm so embarrassed for all of this. It is not the people's biggest argument. There's a lot of them, so I'm not trying to create a straw man here. There's a lot of arguments, but the biggest argument that I get in favor of playing is the mortality rate is so low. They're safe. They're not dying. Damn it, has, has anybody said that is the big reason to not play? Has anybody said, I'm worried that um, Trace Jack, not Trace Jack, said, am I worried that Michael Penix is going to get the coronavirus and die? No one's saying that. What we're saying is our country has not beaten the virus. And if we have all these kids on campus and, and they play football and they give it to each other, they're all going to go home and they're going to give it back to their parents. And we're going to... I'm not going to say we're going to be back in March again because we're worse than March right now. What's amazing is that we shut everything down in March and, and we are demonstrably worse as far as how many sicknesses there are. We have, uh, is it 5 million? Like other countries are literally shocked at how bad we are at this. Shocked. They're not letting us in. They're no, not letting us go, in. We can't go anywhere. And the, the idea that we're going to play football. And Davos Swinney talks about they're safer on campus. They're safer on campus. They're, well, yeah, your team is. Your team is. Keep them in the building. They are safer. But if you think them playing then and then going out to campus and hanging out with students they're not safer on campus once that happens. So anyway, um, the Big Ten, where they embarrass themselves, they so embarrass us. I, 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 that was a long way to get around saying this, is that I'm on board with the Big Ten's initial decision. I'm on board with that. I am. And yet the way they did it, they don't have a friend in the world right now because all the people that, that want to play think the Big Ten's scared, like you're weak. President Trump's trolling you. Harbaugh, Ryan Day, Scott Frost, they're threatening to leave the Big Ten and play in the SEC if they have to. All those people hate you now. And then people like me that want to support you, like, yeah, you're right. A football season this year is probably a bad idea. I'm disappointed because what you did is you went out on a limb on your own with nobody had to support you. And because you were so weak about it and no one supported you, now you've, you've apparently backed off a little bit. All you've done is hurt my side. You've made our side worse, Big Ten. Like, if you didn't have the support, then don't go out. But they went out on their own with no support, now backed off a little bit, it looks like. It's just... They've handled this as poorly as you can handle it. More than we, Craig, it's arrogance, isn't it? Yes. I think I think the Big Ten thought, okay, we're canceling the season, and now everyone else will say, oh God, the Big Ten is canceling, so we're going to cancel, and I'm going to cancel, and I'm and and the other leagues, notably the SEC and the ACC, are like, well, hold on here, it's August, whatever it is, tenth. We're not ready to cancel yet. We we want to exhaust every option. I I just think regardless of whether you feel like there should be a season or there shouldn't be a season, I think the Big Ten is doing itself a disservice to not exhaust every option to see if playing a season or even starting a season is feasible. 
Because if the answer is yes, that it's feasible, then I think you have to go ahead and do it and then react accordingly. And I think that's their big mistake. It's, it's a lot like what happened with the Oladipo situation that we talked about last month. Unless you're 100% sure you're not playing in the bubble, don't float it out there that you're not playing in the bubble. You know what I mean? Like the, the worst thing the Big Ten could have possibly done was float this out there and then backtrack because you're exactly right. It nukes their whole it, – it, it, it cuts off their legs. It, it ruins their whole stance on this thing, which I think is a defensible stance. I, I think the university presidents are right to be concerned about this. And especially, and we haven't even gotten into this, Greg, the liability of it all with the NCAA not requiring player waivers. I mean, that's that's a real problem for universities. Yeah, I had, and I, I don't even think about, I mean, that, there's a pure, there's a financial reason to play football, for sure. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I get it. There's a financial reason not to play football because the liability, and I'm not caring about either of those. I'm caring just about, I want this pandemic to end for our country. I want it to be over. And the more we do things like, 100,000, 90,000 fans at the Indy 500, which we're not going to do now. But had that happened, that was only going to make it harder to beat the pandemic. It was only going to make it harder. And, you know, if they have a football season, even with no fans in the stands, and they have kids on campus, it's just going to make it harder. And I'm tired of it. I mean, and by harder, I mean impossible. We're not going to beat the pandemic if they play football and then go to campus. Now, listen, if they play football and live in a bubble, if, if they test everybody, like the NBA has done, Test everybody. You can only play if you're if you're clean. If you're not clean, 14 days off, whatever. But you've got to stay. And the problem is they don't they don't all live universally. But if you can put them in a hotel or put them in if they're student athlete housing, and then have them eat there, have them take all their classes virtually, basically put them in prison on campus. If they're okay with that, and they might not be, but if they're okay with that, you have a chance. You have a chance if you do it that way. You do have a chance. That is the only way you have a chance. No, and I agree. And I think. The university presidents know deep down they would never say this, but they know that in order to keep this facade going of student athlete, quote unquote, amateurism, quote unquote, they can't in their right mind take these kids off campus, have them do all their classes remotely and put them in a bubble situation and treat them like pros and then turn around and say, whoa, 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 they're still amateurs. This is this is amateurism. This is student athlete. You know, it, it can't be it's got to be one thing or the other. And I think that they know that. And I think that's what they're really concerned about at the end of the day is that they don't want this whole system that they've created to crumble when players see this and say to themselves, well, wait a minute, you say that we're not the NBA or we're not MLB or we're not the NFL yet. That's exactly what you want to do to keep these TV contracts and, and to keep us playing and to keep this going. Well, that's one side of it, and, and, and on the same side, but the other angle is if the, if the presidents were to treat their guys like pros and, hey, we're going to you know, put you in a bubble and blah, 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 then what are you saying about the 30,000 students on your campus that aren't in a bubble? If, yeah. you're saying, if you're saying it's so dangerous for our football players to go onto campus, we're going to keep you off, then why are you letting students on campus? Are you, but we're going to offer you guys up to the gods of the coronavirus, and some of you are going to get sick, and your parents are going to get sick when you come home, and your grandparents are going to die. Um, you can't do it that way. You can't treat the players one way and the student body the other. The only way this works, the only way this works, and, and maybe someday I'll write this, but I, you know, the, the news has to be the right way. Um, and I might write this soon. If today, if today or tomorrow the Big Ten and Pac-10 announce they're going to delay the start of the season for a month. The only way to do this is, as I said, put the players in a bubble, test them, put them in a bubble, have them virtual classes. They can't go on campus. They, they live and eat and, and sleep and breathe and all that somewhere in their nice housings. 
but then you make all of your, but you send all the other students home. You make it online for everybody because what you, that's the only way to do it. You can make everybody be virtual, everybody online, including the football players. They're just online and virtual from campus housing. You can do it that way. That's fair to everybody, um, and you're not you're not offering up some people's bot their health ahead of somebody else. You're putting everybody in the same shoes. Like we don't want you matriculating. All of you stay away from each other. Football players, you stay away from each other over here. That'd be safe for everybody. The question is, would, would amateur football players, would they be okay with sacrificing three or four months of their personal lives just for the good of playing football and making money for a school that's not giving them any money in return? Regardless of what happens this season, Rondale Moore is done as a Purdue Boilermaker, sadly, after just 17 games. He had the one full season, his real breakout season as a freshman, where he really took the nation's attention away from what he was able to do. And then, of course, uh, ended up having the leg injury last year, which cost him all but, but whatever it was, four or five games. Um, I'm disappointed, not because I don't think it's a defensible decision for Rondale Moore. Greg, it's his life, right? And you've met the kid just like I have. He's an unbelievably mature, intelligent guy, and I think he really did think this through. Hell, he's going to graduate in two and a half years if you want to know about how smart he is and, and have a degree from a place like Purdue. But I just think it is, and I don't mean to laugh when I say this, it's almost like you laugh so you prevent yourself from crying. I think it's the most Purdue sports thing ever that you could get a special player like this, a once in every 30 years type player, and only get 17 games out of him. Yeah, you lose him from an injury, and then you lose him to the coronavirus. I mean, yeah. you lose him to something you'd never heard of eight months ago. So, yeah, that's just awful. Um, Rondale, you know, he and Romeo Langford, it's just amazing. They are, Rondale's the best, and of course, Rondale played high school football in Louisville, but he grew up in New Albany. He's an Indiana kid. He's the best amateur football player from our state since, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I know we've had some great ones, but I, off the top of my head, I can't think of one better than him in the last 10, 12 years. And Romeo was the best amateur basketball prospect from our state in the, since Greg Oden, probably. And they lived five houses down in on street in New Albany. They were middle school teammates in football and basketball, which is just the craziest coincidence of all time. But then it continues. IU gets one year out of Romeo, just one. And Purdue gets basically one year out of Rondale, just one. And it's just remarkable how their careers are kind of mirroring each other. And now we'll see what happens at the next level if they mirror each other more. Because right now, Romeo, I mean, you can, I've got people saying he's a bust. You can't call a guy a bust. Not after a rookie year, not after this rookie year. You just can't do it. But I, you know, I wonder, will Rondale be a better pro than Romeo? I mean, we're about to find out. We'll see. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see how NFL teams teams treat him because clearly he's an amazing talent, but he's a small guy, and you're only going on 17 games, and he'll be almost two full years removed when he takes his first NFL snap from playing competitive football. I mean, that's that's a long break for somebody to take. Yeah, was it was it um, was it Frank Gore? No, no, one Frank Gore. It was the McGahey, Willis McGahey. The Buffalo Bills drafted him in the first round. Um, he had, I think, one great year at Miami because he was maybe behind Frank Gore. I don't, I forget, but McGay, he had one great year at Miami, blew out his knee in the championship game, got drafted anyway in the first round late. I want to say 23rd, something like that. I don't think he played as a rookie, but you, you roll the dice on him. He turned out to be a decent pro. He, he was never super, but he was pretty good, uh, I think. Um, yeah, anyway, he's a good player. Yeah. someone's going to take Rondo Moore. And, you know, surely late in the first round. I saw him. You know, when he came, when he announced he was, you know, not playing anymore, I saw that he was ranked number 32 overall in uh, Kuiper or somebody's 
Todd, Todd McShay. Some have him 32, so the last pick of the first round, something like that. Um, I find it hard to believe there's 31 college players that you would be more excited about having on your roster in the NFL someday than Rondell Moore. I mean, I, I find that real hard to believe, but maybe the injury is why. Because, uh, yeah, when he's, when he's good, I mean, he's a game changer. And how many? there can't be 31 game changers at any position ahead of him. That Ohio State game, which is such a special memory for reasons far beyond what Rondell Moore did that, that night in October of 2018 with the Tyler Trent story, Greg, that obviously you authored and uh, had, a, had a, a big hand in. But that's what I'll always think of when I think of his time at Purdue, just, just that night. You know, the Marcus Bailey pick six, you know, Tyler coming down from the press box. I mean, it, it, it was about as unbelievable as a night barring a championship that I think a, a program and a university can have. Yeah, and he was he was on the field with I mean well yeah the, the night was unbelievable. The night was perfect. The night was it was a it was a fairy tale. It was a it was a movie. You know that mm-hmm. and, and maybe someday that will be a movie. You know, maybe Tyler Trent's entire life will be a movie and that will be kind of you know that will be the the moment the the Jimmy uh, coach give it to me I'll hit the shot. That might be you know the Jimmy what's his name is Chip open and Chitwood, right. That's that's <laughs> only it really happened because Rondell Moore was the best player on the field that night uh, on a field with all kinds of first-round draft picks at Ohio State. He was the best player on the field, and it really kind of wasn't close. Yeah, some of those highlights were just absolutely ridiculous. And I'm glad Purdue got him for when they got him, but uh, it's tough to swallow that it's only going to be 17 games. But, hey, David Bell, you know, they, they've got they got a bright future, I think, ahead of them. Uh, wanted to round with this on a, on a much less serious note. Um, I've noticed – you know, I think people tune into Doyle and Derek not only for sports takes, but also for fashion because we're both, you know, we're two handsome guys. And I have a lot of really great features, so it's hard to focus on just one. But I have great calves. Oh. And so I'm so happy that short shorts have come back for guys because I finally got a pair of shorter short shorts. And I just love just kind of checking myself out in the short shorts. So are you a short shorts guy or, or no, Greg? Well, yeah, I gotta define short shorts. Uh, clearly above the kneecap. Oh, oh, for sure. Because remember, for a while, it was like when I was in high school and into my college years, it was all baggy pants. So baggy, baggy jeans, baggy shorts, the whole thing. Um, you know, just check out the 2003 NBA draft photo of the guys in their suits, like LeBron and Kirk Heinrich, and they're they're all like eight sizes too big. But yeah, short shorts clearly above the kneecap, and I, I think some people go as high as like mid thigh for those yeah i remember when og ananobi was at iu and and he's got a very I, I i don't know how much european he has in him you know as far as background and i don't maybe none but he carried himself in a european way in a lot of ways including that he he rolled his i mean he to get his shorts where they were they were up they were three inches above his knee or at least two he actually <laughs> rolled rolled the waist i you know i saw him and he rolled the waist to pull him up higher because he wanted that look and i remember thinking that's a great look and uh, and I'm glad it's there. I've been I've been rolling my shorts at the waist for about two years now. Just put them above the knee. I like the look very much. I don't want them going up halfway up the thigh like we wore. I don't know in the '80s. I don't know when it was, but we used to wear our shorts in the thigh. You know, well, look at Caddyshack the movie. You know that whoever that young golfer is that 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 plays with Ronnie Dangerfield, the young guy Ty, whatever. I mean, I think his shorts were halfway up his his thigh. I don't want that. But above, an inch or two above the knee, hell yes. But I don't want to hear about your calf. Don't make me go get my snake, Derek. Don't make me. Don't make, I don't want to hear about your calves ever. 
So and if you, I see your calves, and I raise you a four-foot ball python. You gross me out all the time with the snake on here. I can only gross you out with my my shorts being mid thigh. But I, I don't, don't like. I, I don't want them that high, Greg, because I want to leave something up to the imagination. Like when people <laughs> see me on the street, you know what I mean. I, I don't want to give it all away. I, the, something about male calves. I, yeah, that's you, <laughs> Austin Powers. Um, <laughs> the male calf, when it's big, bothers me. I don't like big fat male calves, even if they're all muscle. I don't like them. Um, I don't want to see them. I don't like them. So if you've got those, if you think you have good calves, uh, your calves are the size of your thighs. Those aren't good. Those are too small. You're working them out too much. I happen to like my calves. They're kind of, they're like a little ball up there. It looks like yeah. I can make dunk because I got a little ball right, right <laughs> below my knee. Um, and in high school, I could dunk a volleyball, but I could, and I'm 5'10 or 9, but I could dunk a volleyball in high school. That's still impressive. Well, I just wonder how many people yeah. are still listening to hear that factoid that you can dunk a, a volleyball <laughs> at this point. People have failed. If they're still listening, I can tell them I've won a whole lot of awards. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's latest columns, the uh, Big Ten's Indecision, TJ Warren, DeForest Buckner and the Colts D-line, Rondell Moore and more. Check it out, IndyStar.com and through the IndyStar app. And please like and subscribe. Uh, a lot of those people there at the Star doing great, great work at a time when we really need Good local journalism. Thanks so much, Greg, and we'll do it again next time. Real quick, local journalism. Tony Cook is a one-man wrecking crew on the awful outrages happening in our in our state's uh, nursing homes. He is a one-man wrecking crew. Tony Cook is the guy that if, if you if you have a nice job in this state and there's a message that Tony Cook would like you to call him back, go ahead and submit your resignation because it's over. <laughs> it's over. You go to change your name, go to another state. You can't work here ever again. So anyway, Tony Cook alone is a reason to subscribe. But thanks for saying what you said, Derek, and have a good week.